Hey guys, this is me. Did you move today? A tu bouge aujourd'hui? J'attends mes chistes aujourd'hui et vos te mouvez ahora. Welcome to a Did You Move Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm very excited to be here. In this episode, I have Dr. Kara Patterson as my guest, and I'm so excited to have her here. Dr. Patterson is a physiotherapist, an assistant professor at the University of Toronto, and a scientist at the KAI-ITE Research Institute and the University Health Network. She practiced clinically as a physiotherapist in the neurological field in Canada and the U.S. before completing her PhD at the University of Toronto and postdoctoral training at McGill University. Dr. Patterson leads the ReLearn Lab, which strives to advance neurorehabilitation practice in order to improve mobility outcomes for people living with neurological conditions, and in particular stroke. Her research interests include understanding how balance and gait are altered after stroke and the development of novel rehabilitation strategies, including rhythm-based interventions and dance. Dr. Patterson holds a Heart and Stroke Foundation Clinician Scientist Award, and her work is founded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, the National Sciences and Engineering Research Council, and the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada. I'm so excited to have her here, so without further ado, let's just get started. So thank you, Kara, for being here. Um, for everybody listening, uh, this is Dr. Kara Patterson. So I'm very excited to have you here. And the first question is, can you tell me about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast recording, so I'm excited. Um, yeah. So my name is Kara Patterson. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Canada. I'm also a scientist at the Kite Research Institute, formerly known as the Toronto Rehabilitation Research Institute. Um, so that's my day job. I'm also a lifelong amateur dancer. So um, the usual ballet, tap, jazz when I was younger, and now I'm into um, more social dancing, the Latin dances like salsa, and bachata, and cha-cha. Um, I'm also a physiotherapist. I worked clinically for a couple of years um, in uh, Mississauga, which is a suburb of Toronto. And then also I worked in Chicago for a couple of years uh, before I went back to school and did my PhD. I think that's about oh, it. I didn't know you. I didn't know you worked in Chicago. So you actually, yeah. wow, that's great. I live in Chicago for a couple of years. Yes. So, yeah, okay, a, that, that's great. Yeah, it's a great city. We, we, uh, I really enjoyed my time there. I took advantage of the music scene for sure. Great. Were you able to, did you ever, did you attend, did you went to any of the, any of the dance studios here in Chicago? I didn't actually. At that time I was kind of just starting out as a new physio and um, I, I didn't uh, take advantage of that, unfortunately. No. Okay. Oh, wow. That's great. That's a, it sounds just like a very small, small world. Yes. So <laughs> Kara, you always knew that you wanted to do that you wanted to be a physiotherapist and then get your PhD or how, how did, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, I don't know that I always knew that I always enjoyed science. I always liked science. And as I mentioned, I was always a dancer. So I was always intrigued by uh, movement. And um, when I got to high school, we had to do um, a project where we looked at different careers and we shadowed people. And I don't even remember how I came across physiotherapy. It might've even been my mom who told me about it. So I found a physiotherapist and shadowed them. And that's when I really started to get interested in the job. Um, and uh, yeah, so then I, I went to university and I worked towards the prerequisites I needed to get into physiotherapy school. 
Um, and as for the PhD, that wasn't necessarily something I was always thinking about either. I did enjoy research and actually physiotherapy in Canada, much as I'm sure it's similar um, elsewhere, is fairly competitive program to get into. So I didn't get in on my first try. And I was considering doing a master's um, in the meantime to kind of increase my grades and get a bit of research experience and then still apply to physiotherapy. Mm. Um, so that was when I was first exposed to graduate school, but that wasn't necessarily my long-term plan. But I did get into physiotherapy school um, and I enjoyed it. And I really started to like the neurosciences um, and neurological practice. So working with people with stroke and Parkinson's disease and MS. And then in my final year of physiotherapy school, we had an option to do a placement that was a research placement. And that's kind of when I really um, found this um, kind of niche where you could blend clinical with research. And um, I had been kind of guided by some mentors at the time. There weren't a lot of physiotherapists who also had their PhD. And so they kind of encouraged me in that direction. So then I went out to clinical practice, but thinking that I would probably go back and do my PhD because I did enjoy that research placement so much, but I wanted to get some clinical experience first. Um, so it wasn't something that I knew always from the beginning. It was kind of a path that I found myself on after various experiences that I had throughout my university career. I think it's important to, to mention for everybody listening that you have uh, the relearn lab. Yes. Right. You're the relearn lab, and so the. I mean, I, I did I did some research, yeah. and the overall goal of the lab is to advance neurorehabilitation practice uh, to improve gait and mobility outcomes. Yes. And you do this for individuals with neurological uh, conditions, and particularly uh, stroke. Correct. Yes, that's right. So stroke is the main area, but we do some work with people who've had uh, brain injury and. Um, also a little bit just starting to branch out and help out in some projects of people with Alzheimer's. Great. Mm. What's your favorite research so far? Um, probably my favorite research that I've done so far is um, the feasibility study that we did where we provided a dance program for people living with stroke in the community. Um, mm -hmm. So we provided them dance classes twice a week for 10 weeks. Um, and, uh, Yeah, I really liked that because it was so much fun. I've never had so much. I always enjoy my job. I do enjoy my job, but I've never had that much fun at it. Coming down and seeing, coming down to the lab. I, I work up on a, the eighth floor in my building and then my lab is in the basement. So I come down to the lab and, and watch the class and, it, and just the joy that people were experiencing and expressing was so much fun to see. So that was um, a, a an opportunity where I first started to blend my personal interests in dance with my, um, my work life in research. How long was this intervention? Uh, it was for, the... yeah, it was for 10 weeks. Um, and we were interested initially. Uh, the other thing that I really liked about that study is it kind of really put me down the path of starting to use mixed methods approaches. So I think it's, it lends itself really well to rehabilitation where you do both quantitative and qualitative measures. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, uh, when I trained in my PhD, I was always a quantitative researcher. Um, but this study um, we were initially interested in, will a dance program help people improve their balance and their walking? And we 
there wasn't a randomized control trial. We didn't have a control group, but we did at least take measures of it, which has now informed the current randomized control trial that we're doing. And we did see some early signs that, yes, actually, it probably improves their balance. Um, but the other thing that was far more interesting was listening. We give them a little graduation party on the last day of dance classes where they can nice. watch. Yeah, they get to watch some of their videos of when they first started the dance class and at the end and see how they improved. And um, they get to have some cake and sparkling cider and things like that or juice. And the, they were what I, but I was really struck by was the things that they were talking about with each other, like they had started, uh, the participants had started a Facebook group so they could keep in touch. And they were trying to arrange with the dance instructor we had hired for the study. They wanted to arrange classes outside of the study. So I was really struck by this um, social connection that they had formed. I'd never witnessed that before in any of my other research studies. And then also that seeing them being motivated to continue. So that led me to then add on an interview piece, a qualitative piece. And I brought everybody back to do interviews to ask them about other benefits they thought they got from dancing that we didn't necessarily measure quantitatively. So I think that's that's the other reason why I really like that study. That's well. That sounds, that sounds really cool. And yeah. I, I've seen. I mean, I saw on your website that you have currently for for um, you have the survey for stroke survivors yes. rhythm and gait study. Yeah. This uh, the adapted dance class for people with stroke, and then you have the synchrony of movement in Latin dance. Yes. Um, I want to talk about what you were just talking about the 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 this um, the, for people with stroke. Mm. Was it was what about the dance instructor? Th- did she have any um? background in science or is it was she yes so she's um she's a um uh, now I, i'm hesitant to say her title but she isn't she's a therapist and she does have some training in rehabilitation um and she uh her name is miriam schachter and she was uh, great um she's been partnered with us from the beginning working on these dance intervention studies and um she runs dance owns and runs a a company called Dance Abilities, and she provides dance classes for people with disabilities. So uh, yeah, she, that's great. Yeah, so she works with people with aphasia, and she's worked with people with osteoarthritis. And um, so she did have a, a background in science, as well as therapy, as well as uh, experience working with people who have physical disabilities. So it was, it was it's been a great match. Um, well, yeah, that's that sounds like that sounds really great. Yes. Yeah. What about what are the I mean, with research, there's a lot of things that there, there's, um, I mean, like hard, hard things. I, you live in Toronto. I, I'm currently in Urbana-Champaign, which is like a very little town yes. <laughs> in a way. Was it hard for you to recruit people yeah. to join the research or was it easier because it's a city? Yeah, <laughs> I think recruitment is hard no matter where you are. Um, I before I was here at the University of Toronto, I was also at Western University, which is in London, Ontario, which is a smaller city. And recruitment was a challenge there. Um, and recruitment is still a challenge here. Uh, I definitely our pool is larger. And I would say it's easier. But it's I think it's just one of those things working with human research and particularly with clinical pro, uh, populations. It's just it's always a challenge. It's a numbers game. I think you just have to hustle. You always have to be making contacts and communicating with people and just put the work in. Unfortunately, it's not, uh, it doesn't really ever seem to get easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was, um, I cannot remember his name, but he's a professor and he went and talked. I was in a seminar 
it's just like a seminar course. So mm-hmm. professors go and talk about their current research and he's from, actually he's from Canada mm-hmm. and he was, he was saying that he's trying to find a way to bridge that gap between uh, recruitment and researchers and doctors yes. like medical doctors to try so and he's from canada was yeah. like which i was which i thought that, that was very interesting yeah there was someone else um i think she's from university of toronto i, I will have to check mm-hmm. uh, but she's doing yoga thrive i think that's the name of it mm. but it's more yoga research yeah which i thought that you know there's i mean when i see when i uh, listen to people talking about their research a lot of them, for some reason, are in Canada, and I'm like, "Wow, that's great! That's great!" Yeah. So, and when I saw when I researched, you know, I was like looking because um, I was reading your uh, one of your uh, papers. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Where is Kara Patterson from?" And I and I went and checked, and you're definitely from yeah. Canada. Yeah. So I was like, "Okay, this is." <laughs> It's great. Like you guys have a really good community. It seems like yes, yeah. The the stroke rehabilitation community um, and rehabilitation in general, I think, is fairly strong in Canada. There's the Canadian Partnership for Stroke Recovery, which is a, a network that uh, tries to foster stroke recovery research. So there is quite a strong presence here. I think. Yep. Great. Um, Okay, I saw the synchrony of movement in Latin dance. Yeah. You're currently working on that one, right? Yes, so that's, uh, that's again, a kind of a branch that came out of that original feasibility study where I started wondering, like, this is interesting. Why, why was this social, why were these social bonds so strong? And I um, started doing a bit of reading and um, noticed that there's quite a bit of research in the psychology field about synchronized movement it doesn't have to be dance but synchronized movement like doing rowing together or even marching or walking together and it seems to create this um like feelings of cooperation feelings of connection with other people so i that's when i start to think about oh it'd be interesting to know what are kind of the active ingredients of dance that we should be um focusing on so dance itself is great and people should do it just because it's fun and it keeps you active but if we also kind of want to tailor it to be a bit of a therapy i i think it's helpful to understand the pieces or the components of it and and what it contributes and so i started to think well maybe it's the synchronization of movement to other people that creates this feeling of social connection um because social isolation is a significant problem in people with stroke Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other piece of that is synchronizing movement to music, because there is another field of research that looks at using rhythmic auditory cues, and it's capitalizing on this connectivity between the auditory system and the motor system in our brain. Um, those are, you can get entrainment of the motor system by playing a rhythmic cue, and that has a quite a bit of success in the Parkinson's disease population as well as the stroke population. So you can play music or you can play rhythmic auditory cue and you get the person to move. It can either be arm movements or it could be walking. And it seems to facilitate or improve their gait pattern and improve their movement. So then I start to, to think, well, maybe dancing as well because you're having to synchronize your movement to the music maybe that's some added benefit to it um, by priming the system, capitalizing on this connection between the auditory and the motor systems. So then I thought, well, it'd probably be easier to take a step back and do a kind of more of a 
theory-driven study or investigating these hypotheses in people without stroke first. And so then that's where I'm at the moment developing ways to first measure those things in, in dance class, because it's pretty difficult to put a bunch of dancers in a move motion capture lab and put everybody in yeah. markers. I mean, it can be done, but it would be really difficult. So we've been validating some measures in our lab looking at, can we measure this? And so we've been relying on things like wireless accelerometers and gyroscopes, um, which we can sync to the same file. Like everybody wears a, wears an accelerometer and then we sync them and look to see if the movement is synchronized that way. And then we're also using, um, Markerless motion capture, so a, a freeware program called Open Pose, where you can just video somebody with an iPhone or you know any type of camera, 2D camera, and then it's able to um, track mo- motion, motion in space. And we then sync that to the beat of the music, and we um, look to see whether or not people's footsteps are synchronizing with the music. So that's kind of where we're at right now, kind of in the technical phase. But then we're like, once we've established those measures, then we want to start to see, well, um, if people synchronize better with their partners, does that mean they had more of an improvement in their mood or more of a more feelings, more strong, stronger feelings of being connected to their partner, the more synchronized they are. So that's nice. That. I, I know you mentioned um, social connection. Yes. And I was thinking, how can I, how can, how can... How can uh, you men- how can you measure social connection? Yes, um, in a way that it is both valid and reliable. Yeah. Um, and what are your thoughts? Because I know you mentioned that you before you did a lot of quantitative um, research, and now you're trying you're adding qualitative and quantitative, which I think it's awesome. Yes. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? How how yeah, what are your thoughts? I know some professors just focus on I'm just going to be quantitative, otherwise it doesn't exist. Yeah. So I want to. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I'm just looking it up now because I did, um, of course, a bit of reading, looking around, trying to find how am I going to measure this? Um, and I did. I am doing it both ways. We have a paper in the works where we used this measure called the integration in community scale. And I'm, unfortunately, I can't remember the original author at this point. Um, but um, basically, it's this really beautifully simplistic measure where you see a series of circles, two circles. One circle represents the person and one circle represents the group in question. And throughout this series of circles, they become increasingly overlapped And Mm -hmm. so you ask the person which of these diagrams represents how you feel about how you fit into the group. So, of course, if they pick the two circles that are not overlapping at all, then they don't necessarily feel a part of the group. And then Mm -hmm. the the more overlapping the circles are is that gives you a sense of how strongly they feel as they're a member of the group. So we've been because that. Sorry. Sorry about that. I don't want to I don't want to interrupt you, but it just makes me think of um, I know they have there's research already in mice showing that, but I know we're not mice. <laughs> I know we're humans, but there's research that shows already that the, the social interaction is a very important aspect. Yes. Even to increase, uh, I think I can, I don't want to say this, but I think it, I think it's, it's like increase uh, white matter integrity or, um, or gray matter. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just, I just wanted to 
I know we're not mice. Yes. But, but yeah. But it's a good yeah. place to start for sure. And it's definitely, um, I mean, if lower lower vertebrates and mammals need social connection, you can only assume that humans need it as well. So, um, yeah. So that is one way that we're measuring it so that we can then look to quantify change before and after a dance class as well as see if it relates to how well they synchronize movement but the other way that we investigated it was through those um, interviews that we did with our participants in our original dance study so we asked Mm -hmm. them can you tell me about a time where you felt particularly connected to somebody in the dance class or can you describe to me a moment where you felt um, part of the group or you felt connected and it was really interesting because what we found was there was two ways that people were feeling connected or how what was fostering the sense of connection. And the first one wasn't really that surprising. They did it through verbal interaction. So talking with people before class and after class and shared experience, which is quite common across any community-based exercise group intervention for people with stroke. So that wasn't unique. But the other piece that... Um, people were talking about was feeling connected through movement and so they would describe moments in the class that were multi-sensory in nature so they'd say well uh, you know I feel their movement and then I can sense them and then of course I'm touching them if we're holding hands doing partner dance and the eye contact that you make and you're communicating through movement so they really talked about how they've got this sense of connection through movement itself. Um, so that so those interviews were really valuable for us in, in tr- getting a bit more of a deeper sense of how these connections are formed rather than just one measure that's quantitative. But it kind of really helped us understand how they were building these connections and what they were feeling. Great. Mm-hmm. I have a couple more questions for you. Sure. What's your day to day? What's my day to day? Oh, like, yeah. like my schedule? <laughs> your schedule, like what's your day to day as a as a as a professor, as a researcher, as, you know, like everything. (laughs) My day-to-day is, um, varies quite a bit, which I think is one of the fun parts about the job. Um, usually, um, I'm either at my desk doing some writing. So I'm either writing or editing students' papers or writing my own papers. Um, sometimes, I'm analyzing data or I'm writing a research grant. Um, The program that I'm in where I teach in the physiotherapy department, I do a little bit of teaching. Um, The way our program works is in units. So it's not a typical semester-based, course-based program like most university Mm -hmm. programs. So my teaching tends to be quite condensed within a few months. So like from March, April, May is when I'll be teaching. So during those months, I'm more in the classroom or preparing lectures or answering student questions. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my day. Each day varies. I try to dedicate one day a week where I work from a offsite location where I can just focus and just do writing. So I have blocks of uninterrupted time. Um, Yeah. I know you mentioned students. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of mentor are you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah I'm not sh- I guess I could answer that but maybe <laughs> I'm not, I don't know how objective I am about it I try to um, I try to take the lead from the students so I usually ask them what type 
of guidance or mentorship they need. Um, I like to basically start off by asking people what their goals are. So now more than ever, people don't necessarily come into graduate school with the vision of being in academia. Um, there's lots of opportunities outside of academia. So I usually try to ask them what their goals are at the end of the degree, what they hope to do. And then I'll try to shape their experience and give them opportunities to meet those goals. So for example, I have one student who's um, working towards a PhD, but is more interested in teaching. So then I try to give her opportunities to teach. Um, whereas another PhD student wants to get into industry. And so I've tried to set them up with in, like meetings with colleagues that have gone into industry. Um, so that's my approach. Now, what do you look for uh, when you take on an, uh, a new grad student? Yeah. So what do you, yeah. what's one of those things that um, you're like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I I myself have done a lot of reading on this because I'm not I never felt confident about interviewing and how to determine who to pick and how to hire. Um, and I found a really good piece of advice from somebody. I think I found it on Twitter, and I can't reference who it was, but it was something to the effect of don't don't focus so much on grades because I mean most people who come to apply to graduate school probably have good grades, and that's fine but they said to ask them what they do outside of their time find out who they are as a person and what their interests are and sometimes those discussions are a little more um, insightful and letting you know if they're gonna if, if the two of you will be a good fit so I think the first thing that I look for is is this a person that I think will be a good fit both ways like is this a person who's going to work in my lab in the way I like to structure my lab and am I going to be a good mentor for what this person needs? The um, other kind of things that I look for are things like curiosity. So somebody who's really curiosity driven, um, able to work independently, um, and then also um, able to see big picture. So understanding kind of what they're what research is for, what the goals are of research. Usually people come with some amount of research. So I like to ask them, you know, what was the objective of your research? What were the main findings rather than getting drilling down into the nitty gritty skills or details, because those are things you can always learn, but being able to talk about why you did a project and what the results were, I think are um, important skills that sometimes get missed. <laughs> what would you like to share? Do you have any advice for, for students, people that are looking into oh. graduate school or people that are, you know, just like you that are professors. Yeah. Um, or physiotherapists even because yeah. you are, you are a physiotherapist. Yes. You're also a professor. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. So there's, I guess more general life advice or things that I've learned is to, um, I mean, I, it's not, I don't think it's anything earth shattering, but I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to, to ask for help, not to be afraid to ask people for help. Um, be specific about what it is that you need. And then also don't be discouraged if the answer is no, just go find somebody else. So um, don't, uh, don't give up. Um, if somebody's not able to help you, then there's definitely going to be somebody else who can. Um, but that's been the thing that's helped me the most is... Um, figuring out what I need, what I can do on my own, and then what I need help with and asking for it. Great. I have two more questions for you. Sure. Um, what's movement for you? If you can tell me that in one sentence or so. Oh, I don't know if I can do one <laughs> sentence. Um, 
it's interesting because I was on a um, like a group conference call, which is this thing that's being developed by this collaboration being developed by um, David Nichols, who's in New Zealand. Um, it's this group of people who are physiotherapists, but are also interested in art and all different types of art and integrating those two things. And he had talked about dance as not having a purpose. And at first I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to put it. But then when we talked more, um, it really kind of struck me is like movement can be, you can think about it in two contexts. You can think about goal-directed movement, like the movement we do during our day. So I move my hand to pick up a coffee cup and I drink from it. That was a goal-directed movement versus movement that you're just doing for pure enjoyment, which is what I think dance is. So you, you do it and it's just fun, but it's not necessarily serving a direct purpose or goal. Um, so yeah, so I, I think movement falls into those two broad categories. Kara, did you move today? I did, yes. I usually try to get a run in most mornings. And so this morning I did get in a run. Great. Where can we find you? Um, do you mean for Twitter uh, or yes. um, your ReLearn Lab yeah. website? So um, my ReLearn Lab has a one of those long addresses because of um, it's on WordPress. But if you just Google ReLearn Lab, usually can come up. Or if you go to the University of Toronto Physical Therapy Department, there's a link under faculty. You'll see me and then there's a link to my lab. I am on Twitter. Um, my handle is at Kara K. Patterson. Um, Great. Yeah, those are probably the two places. Awesome. Thank you very yes. much, Kara. Um, thank you for your time. I know you have a lot of things to do, uh, but it's. I wanted to have you on my podcast because you bring dance and science together yes. you bring qualitative and quantitative research together and yeah that's what that's what that's why i was like hey i have to <laughs> i have to at least reach out and he, if she says no it's all right but i'll try yeah no thank you very much for asking me this was fun all right thank you so much You're welcome. all right guys i hope you love this episode if you have any questions feel free to message us uh but otherwise i hope that you move today mm -hmm. Thank you.